Hello and welcome to another Sad Songs podcast. We've got Joe. Uh, hello. We've got Russell. Hiya. And we've got Kenneth. Hello. Today, Kenneth is going to be taking us through the song Sometimes It Snows in April by Prince. And it's the 12th song from the album Parade, which is the soundtrack to the film Under the Cherry Moon. And it's from the year 1986. Most of the time, and in fact, if you've been listening to the last um, four or five podcasts, this has now become a Is It Really a Sad Song podcast. (laughs) And this is now prohibited at this point when we discuss this song. If anyone says anything negative about this song, it's getting edited out and you just didn't come today. This has to be absolutely tear-wrenchingly pulling on your collar, doffing your cap respect at every minute of this one because it's amazing. Okay. Kenneth, please tell us why. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an interesting one for, very, for me because it was one that was actually recommended by a different friend, my friend Tom, who has very different tastes in music to Stephen. Um, and... Uh, Knowing that Stephen, I, well, I imagined at the time Stephen wouldn't like Prince. I mean, this was when we were sort of 15, 16. I am, um, you know, with the great embarrassment, played in his song and said, I like it. And he said, no, 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 Prince is the greatest, um, the greatest solo artist of all time, um, which was quite a strong thing. But bear in mind, he had just said the week before, the Cooler Shaker were the greatest band of all time. Um, <laughs> it kind of took it, it took it, well, I guess even a stop clock tells the right time twice a day. But uh, I, was, I, I was with him on this one, certainly. Um and it was a great surprise to me that Stephen loved Prince, but it, it turned out he did, and he had a great knowledge of his um, general repertoire. Um, so this one was from 1986. Um, this film that it's associated with Under the Cherry Moon, I saw it once years ago, and it was god-awful. Um, I, mean, I hope I'm allowed to say that the film was awful, Stephen. Um, I actually went to see it because, uh, well, I went to see it, saw it um, on video because it had Francesca Annis in it, who I'd had a bit of a thing for at the time, nothing to do with Prince. Um, but Prince plays this gigolo character, Christopher Tracy, um, and this song that is a kind of mourning for Christopher Tracy, who dies at the end. Um, I think one of the interesting aspects, which I'm hoping Stephen will talk a bit more about, is that this is a sad song from Prince, which is relatively rare. The few that, that I know are really quite sad. I mean, they're quite devastating, but they tend to be um, uh, either kind of songs that he plays with the family, the you know, this kind of alternative band, um, or like this one, it's kind of like, masked with this alter ego of Christopher Tracy, um, you know, who, who he's mourning for. It's as if it's made out to be a totally fake scenario. Perhaps, I mean, we associate Prince more with this kind of absolute party animal, you know, I'm sexy mother effer, etc. All of this funky stuff. He's really in the life and soul of the party. His sad songs are quite um, rare, certainly for this sort of level of intimacy. Um, so maybe I was going to ask Stephen afterwards, perhaps, um, you know, to say a little bit more about Prince's sad songs generally, perhaps, and what they symbolise in his own uh, kind of uh, oeuvre. Um, it's a, a, a very, very different one in other to other Prince songs in terms of the level of control. I mean, if you know the song, the first sort of couple of minutes are just this kind of very sort of wishy-washy, um, in a good way, very kind of vague, atmospheric kind of noises from himself, a pianist and uh, a, a guitarist as well. Um, and they're all just kind of meandering around, improvising. Apparently in the recording of it, there was lots of noises cropping up here and there. And he was just, no, no, let's leave them. Let's leave them in, which is 
so antithetical to Prince generally, where everything is extremely tight. You know, there's no note that is wasted, nothing that isn't really delicately planned. So it's as if um, he's got this kind of very, very slightly lazy, atmospheric um, sort of sense, as if he's not really himself, um, as if he's kind of perhaps putting aside his ego for a little while. Um, and it's perhaps it reminded me of something Stephen said the other day about some of these songs which are really polished um, being a bit of a kind of barrier from us for us understanding them as sort of genuinely affective sad songs. There's something quite antithetical about being really polished and having that kind of raw emotion of sorrow. Um, so it might be worth you know thinking about. We were thinking about Jenny Lewis the other day, and I think that point came up then. Um, musically, I, I love the song for different reasons. I think one thing that is very Prince-like is just a couple of wayward chord progressions, which are, you know kind of really make stand out. Certainly, first time you hear it, you're like what? Where the hell did that chord come from? Um, when he's describing how uh, you know he wishes that life was never ending, or sometimes I wish the the otherwise perfectly normal chord progression, very gentle, beautiful, suddenly goes really quirky and kind of eyebrow raising and chromatic, um, and it's actually rising chromatically. Um, Stephen, I'll just slot that in there, yeah, the the little example, so you can play that later on. Um, so it's just rising chromatically, which is quite, and then it continues to rise. And that's quite an odd thing to do. It always is a very strange gesture if you actually rise by a semitone. It's much more common uh, to descend by a semitone. And in fact, if you you know go back to music's history, whenever people have lamented or mourned anybody in music, there's, there's this kind of tradition from the Baroque and before then of always just descending uh, chromatically, um, particularly in the bass, but just moving down chords, you know, B to B flat to A to if like just going down the alphabet very very slowly this it seems to do the opposite it's like as if the on this this idea of wish there is some kind of uh like he's raising his eyes towards heaven or some some glimmer of hope there um but of course it's a wish that's dashed it's only a, it's only a, a brief moment um it's as if it's a small um attempt to uh, escape reality or perhaps to push against this kind of depressive tendency um, that we would normally have in a sort of lament of dragging downwards. Another thing um, I'm quite interested, I've never quite been able to put my finger on how I interpret the simple line, sometimes it snows in April. Like, I mean, yes, it's, it's obviously a, a straightforward fact. And in fact, it, it snows in April most years, although I don't think it has this year necessarily. But trying to get its significance, I mean, in one level, it might mean um, simply that sometimes things happen that are kind of unexpected, that are a bit surprising. Um, he talks about Christopher Tracy that he knew and loved and says, those kind of cars don't pass you every day. Um, you know, it's kind of saying, yeah, th th these are rare, rare moments that we're sort of privileged to have. Um, thing things happen which derail us. It might also be an aspect of memory, um, which we talked about a little bit the other day. Um, you know, something lingering on, like an, an afterglow. After an event's happened, there is sometimes still this kind of aftermath, you know, the snow after um, spring has happened. Um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite sure uh, what this exactly means. And a sort of slightly marginal interpretation I've often had is that after that line, sometimes it snows in April, sometimes he sings, Sometimes I feel so sad and there's a kind of a like even prince. Maybe it's, it's as if it's more of a personal thing there. And normally I'm really upbeat and, you know, the party animal. But you know, every now and again, sometimes I feel so sad, you know, something unusual happens. Um, but I'd be interested to hear perhaps what, what the others make of this. 
Just like in the last song we looked at, um, uh, School of Seven Bells song, uh, where Joe was quite moved by the last line. I'm always very moved by this last line, which is, it's kind of like a bit out there. Love isn't love until it's past. And then the song ends. You know, this song took ages to wind up. It sort of meandered its way through. And then just as you get this line, um, love isn't love until it's past. And it's a very kind of poignant, beautiful line. Um, it's, you know, it's quite a kind of profound one because people tend to um, not really theorize that deeply about what love is. Um, it tends to, people tend to define love in little aphorisms like, um, you know, that film, uh, Love Story, you know, love is not having to say you're sorry or love is dot, dot, dot. And it's one short sentence that we're all supposed to think, oh, that's interesting. Um, but this one's, it, the one of the beautiful things about it is you get that line and then the song's over right at the point where you're kind of invited then to think about this so that the song does then live on as you think through the sort of implications of those last lines um one of the psychoanalysts we've mentioned a few times is Jacques Lacan um in these podcasts and uh, you know he used to give people these psychoanalytic sessions and his idea was to bring them right up to the point where they said something almost kind of profoundly sort of knowledgeable about themselves where they almost re uh, got a sort of realization of what their problem was. And then he would stop the session and just kind of write, okay, your time's up now. And then let them go away and allow that sort of feeling to just, that's that small idea to kind of gestate until the next session. And it feels a little bit like this with this one, um, that to some extent, um, you know, we have to then go away and think about this last line about what love actually is. Um, it's certainly, I think the idea that love um, is only kind of fulfilled, love is only kind of, made pure once it's finished i think is quite a, a devastating devastating one um so yeah i wondered if um others might want to think a little bit more about what what love is perhaps um one last little comment is just the idea of love in this process of mourning which the character seems to be still going through um you know we've talked about mourning a little bit with freud um jacques lacan sort of took freud's aspects of mourning and he said that to some degree um well, he was talking about love and he said love is to some degree narcissistic. What we love in love is kind of the the image of ourselves in the other person. He said it's kind of like a narcissistic thing. And his proof, if you like, of that was that um, he said that's what you get in mourning when you lose somebody. Um, you then start to, you know, kind of withdraw into yourself. You lose all of your interest in life. You start becoming a slob, you know, leaving soup down your shirts, um, leaving your flies wide open, etc. You lose that sense of ego. Um, and he was saying that that's kind of in a way proof that when you're in love with somebody, you, it's almost like a narcissistic thing. So that when you mourn that person, it's in a sense, not just the person that you're mourning, it's also the kind of the loss of part of your own ego that's being reflected back at you. So I, I wondered maybe if Stephen had some thoughts about that. Um, so Steve, shall I ask you that uh, question? Yeah, I mean, it's a, re it's a really interesting way to think about it. I, I think you can probably flip it around in a Freudian sense and say, I mean, it's the same that Freud says, right? You've got so much libido, you can invest it in what you like. And then that basically is you, that is the ego. What you choose to love is you. The the Freudian kind of amazing thing about it is that you can actually invest it in something else in that case. And that there can be this object outside of yourself that you mm. put all of this libido and love and invest so much importance to. And obviously this importance is going to be kind of contextualized in terms of the relationship you have to that object. Um, I mean, it would be a very sort of strange kind mm. of courtly love, detached love, I think, if you didn't have 
um, some kind of narcissism or self-interest in it. So I think Lacan is very consistent with Freud. I should go Lacan at this point. Um, very consistent with Freud in yeah. that sense. But he's just a sort of switch of emphasis almost yeah. where where he says, but, but hold on, this does make you quite narcissistic. I mean, it's interesting. Freud talks about libido and love in on narcissism, of course. I suppose one of the ways that relates to this song is that Prince is singing about, he's singing a kind of song of mourning to his character in the film, um, which has a kind of certain narcissistic quality anyway. Now, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about um, sort of the, the sad songs and how you think that those work with Prince's own kind of sense of ego. Well, it's a super interesting question. And like you say, I love Prince. My cousin made me Prince mixtapes when I was about eight or nine. And, you know, Prince has always been just someone I thought was absolutely amazing. And as I've grown older, it tends to be the sort of sadder, more considered Prince songs that I, I listen to. I'd listen to some of the um, the stuff on the internet if you just sort of get into a YouTube hole and find out what Prince uh, was up to in the sort of last few years. He just seemed to have this kind of crazy focus on whatever he was doing and this just ability to, as soon as something detracted from the focus or got away with it, he just totally cut it off. And it, it, it's almost, well, I mean, it was pathological, right? The, the sort of most famous one is that he went on Oprah a week after um, his, his son had died and just kind of lied to Oprah and said, you know, everything's okay, don't worry about it. And it's this sort of strange moment. Apparently then he went home and burnt down his house and just sort of destroyed it and never went back there because it was this sort of bad space. And he would just move on and on through wives, through projects, through these kind of moments. And and the thing that unites it all, I think, is is something else really that Kenneth was talking about, which is just this absolute sense of like perfection. Like the core of Prince, I think, is this desire to just make absolutely perfect music. And he was sort of totally focused and totally committed to this throughout everything. And it's why, in a way, the sad songs stand out a little bit more when you come across them. Uh, I think the competition, and there's one about um, his, his son dying. There's a few of them here and there. And, and they tend to be just uh, fascinating, I think, to listen to. Yeah, you mentioned just just the last thought, Ken. You mentioned this sort of um, complexity and polish mm. uh, that we talked about in a few previous episodes with the dismemberment plan and with Jenny Lewis. And I think the thing about the dismemberment plan song that I think it was in sort of seven four, and Joe said it was a bit mathy. Mm. It was it was that level of complexity I think which takes away from the sadness, not the level of kind of polish. Mm. I think polish is good for sadness and like really you know, focusing on it. But I'm not sure that complexity is always the best thing to express sadness through, because if you've got the, you know, the spare capacity to, you know, really experiment and play with form, I, I do wonder uh, whether it's a, a sort of basic expression of sadness in that sense. We yeah, should probably I mean, ask Joan yeah, yes. Russ to speak I know, about I, we should have got ourselves yeah. at a breakout room. Sorry about that. that <laughs> I, think, I think Russell's Russ, phone is not Russell. Russell. About Russell. Yeah. Um, am I, can I go? My kind of thoughts were, um, you know, the, the, this in terms of polish is probably one of the the lesser polished Prince songs. It's it's not as pristine as as other ones. And but the other kind of thing I thought as well is is you know when, when you say sort of um, the the polish isn't necessarily a uh, a symbol of of uh, you know uh, it doesn't detach it from from the sadness. But my thoughts are I wasn't able to kind of necessarily attach with the sadness of this song because it seemed to be um, 
a, a number of layers away because he seems to be writing about a character that's not a real character. So so rather than being himself who's writing about, he's writing through uh, someone that was grieving, an unknown person from what I could see, that was grieving for Christopher Tracy, who I don't know who he is other than the knowledge through my um, sort of, you know, Googling and stuff that he's a, a character in, in the film. Um, so that kind of like detracted a little bit from the sadness. It's, it made it seem a little bit cold because... Um, I wasn't able to necessarily pinpoint the the uh, the person who was speaking or the person who was grieving for. Um, so it, it it kind of like detracts a little bit for me from from the song being necessarily sad. I mean, it it, it sounds sad. It is a sad song, undoubtedly. Um, you know, I can't deny otherwise from uh, from Steve's previous point, but. <laughs> it it, it seems to be a little bit hard to attach to. Um, I don't know whether that's an experience that anyone else had because of those reasons. Well, let me ask you this, Russ, and then we'll we'll get Joe's opinion. I think there's something superbly sad in this song, which is when he says, <laughs> "Sometimes I wish that life was never ending, but all good things they say never last." Like this is like the ultimate distilled confrontation with mortality. Absolutely, and that, that, that's a universal fact, and that's one line out of the song, which I absolutely agree with. But, I mean, when I first heard the song's title, I kind of thought, well, maybe that's a warning for gardeners. That's a very good response, Russell, very good. Sometimes and we call it a podcast now. May. Sometimes yeah. we're a frost in May, as my potatoes will attest to. So, um, you know... There's, there's meaning to be taken from everything, isn't there? Well, before we uh, invite uh, uh, Joe to say something, just to respond to that, in a way, I absolutely agree, Russ. It's something I'd actually not really thought about very much, this kind of remove, because you know it's only a, a character in a very, very bad film. Um, but in a way, it feels to me as though it's kind of, it's so obviously sincere from Prince that it, it seems as though this character is just uh, just a front. Um, you know, it, it, it's a made-up character that doesn't really matter. But it, in a way, it makes it much of a sort of deeper sorrow for me because I know that, yeah, he's just chosen this this daft character, but really this is like really raw emotion because Prince is always just, um, you know, putting his, 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 his ego defences. He's always projecting it onto somebody else. This is, you know, pretending this is just about the character in a film when really it's actually much, much deeper, a kind of glimpse, I suppose, into his... Uh, into his soul for me anyway but uh, i yeah i absolutely see your point joe what uh, what do you think about the song <clears throat> well now here i come with all sorts of insight which is going to be severely edited but um it's it's a, I, I i hate to, to sort of get in the way of the fanboys but i'm i'm sort of with russell i'm i'm a bit detached from it but this is partly because it's quite new to me i know this isn't a new song, and you're probably embarrassed for me, Ken and uh, Steve, that I don't that no, I don't, I don't know, know more about it. But like in in listening to it, <laughs> I'm embarrassed for you, but for totally different <laughs> reasons. Well, what I'd say is um, there are there's some fantastic lines in it. I actually the song has grown on me exponentially over the last few days. I've only really discovered it, you know, since we discussed doing it, and it has grown on me a lot. Ken, Ken, you mentioned some about the chord progressions, and I think that's something that caught me off guard when I first heard it. And I was like, oh, that's really yeah. weird. There's just some sort of weird moments that kind of suck you in, um, mm. but work. But like at first I didn't, I felt like it didn't almost. And I think that's probably the thing that's slightly strange is 
I've never been, and again, this is probably going to get cut out or overdubbed with Steve going, I'm a huge fan, but I've never been like a huge fan of Prince. And it's not because I don't appreciate that he was uh, an unbelievable musician and songwriter. It just, I, it just never connected with me. And I don't know whether it was because of, I don't know, like age, like you guys are a lot older than me and uh, Russell, you know, there's a lot there. So, um, but I don't know. I, I just never, I never really got into him, but I actually have to say, this is, this is a song out of the ones I know of Prince that I, I actually, I really enjoy and I've got to enjoy more. And I do think, I do actually love the way it ends that, um, and love, it isn't love until it's passed. I think that's a great, a great way to finish a song. It's also, you know, I was about to say it's nothing. I don't feel like it's anything new, but then this song is quite old. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this is the kind of refrain that I think you could, you could pick from a number of songs and is said in a number of ways, probably across a number of, in a way, a number of the sort of songs we'll probably go through or, or touched on. Um, I'm trying to think what else I have from it. Um, yeah, generally, I mean, I, I I like it. I was reading about how it was made and, and I found it very interesting, like Ken mentioned, it. there was something about there was a chair that kept making noises during recording it. Oh, that yeah. was it. Yes, it was And he chair, was yeah. just like, yeah, I like it, leave it in. And it's completely what you wouldn't expect from him, from what I, I know of mm. him. And I, I like that. Like, the, like the, the, there's occasions when a song has something in it that gives that a pass. I think that's quite an interesting thing. The other thing I was going to say, and Russell, <laughs> Russell, know this, what I'm getting at here, but one thing that's kind of ruined Prince a bit, a bit for me is a, an old, an old sort of friend of mine who was so obsessed with Prince. He started mimicking, <laughs> mimicking his delivery really quite wantonly. Um, oh no! In music, and it's really it, it's backwardly damaging because I, I sort of knew him before before I knew much Prince. If you if you know what I mean, so it's sort of like when someone starts mimicking something like this it's don't get me wrong the guy is an incredible musician i'm not i'm not saying otherwise it's just a weird thing Ooh, prince or the mimicker oh uh, prince <laughs> yeah that's what i was gonna, that's what I was gonna say because if you could mimic prince you are absolutely virtuous virtuoso you know it's, oh I no like... the guy the guy the guy in in question is actually incredibly talented so it's not it's not that but it's just a weird thing because it's i i, I don't really like mimicry when it goes too far it's just not my thing he also like knew too quite a lot yeah so um oh. <laughs> ah, i like that but um but it's yeah I, I i think it's a good song it's grown on me i do i feel like i need to know a bit more prince because it's i do feel embarrassed whenever prince comes up in sort of conversation and also i feel like you two will get really furious if me and russell don't up our prince game but um no yeah. no no not at all it's um I, I do. I do. It's, it's an interesting song. I, I there is something a bit removed about when I realised it was about. I, I'll be honest with you. When I first heard it, I sort of thought it was about a friend of his <laughs> called Tracy, and it and it struck me more. And then when I realised it was about a sort of a character of his in a film, then it becomes a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more um, arrogant or a little bit more. Um, but I think I think this is the point that me and Kenneth have been trying to make, Joe, that the Prince persona and I think probably the Prince person, right, has no mm. space for this sort of weakness. You know, yeah. everything has to be so, you know, upbeat Prince. So maybe that's why people who aren't Prince fans aren't Prince fans, because I, I struggle to connect. 
Um, you know, I, I've listened to Prince. I've appreciated Prince. I've not loved Prince because I, I, I think that's partly because of the persona getting in the way of, you know, any real kind of... Um, and the, the, the persona, but also, as you said before, the, the kind of polished nature of it, um, getting in the way of any kind of feeling that I get from it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point from Russell. But that's Prince on the whole. That's not just this song. This is Prince on the whole. I mean, it's it's funny enough. It's a it's a it's. I see it as a related criticism with that you get with a lot of classical music from the nineteenth century, where um, you know people like sort of Beethoven, Schubert used to write these kind of piece of music, which were really kind of well thought through, beautiful, beautiful and intricate. And then there was this kind of wave of people that was like cult of a virtuoso, where they were absolutely phenomenal on the piano or whatever their instrument was, and people were just wowed by it. But at the same time, they were always kind of like, uh, yeah, but it, it kind of leaves me cold because it's just so much showing off. Um, and there was this kind of real suspicion of the of the virtuoso. And I, funny enough, as much as I really respect Prince as a musician, I often like watch him and think, "Well, he's dead now. Obviously, <laughs> I don't watch him now." But I watch, you know, I watch videos of him, and I think, "Yeah, you, you're just you're just showing off here all of the time." But that's one of the reasons that I I really mm-hmm. like this song is that it's it's kind of that's all forgotten about, and it is this kind of slightly slobby, sloppy and slobby. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't intentional use of the word slobby. Um, uh, approach to it, you know, where just kind of accepting whatever noises in the studio, um, allowing people just to improvise at the beginning and be very, very kind of laid back, produce a, mu- a mood. It's the exact antithesis of his normal sort of tight persona. I think that's one of the things I like about this song. My Prince fan perspective is probably up until the 90s, Prince is quite authentic in a way in that he, he's there for creating songs, but not for just these sort of excursions in style, which tend to get, you know, thrown in his favour, famous mm-hmm. bolt. But after the 90s, it, everything can seem to just have a purpose, and often quite a narrow purpose. So it can be hard to relate to the songs on any other level than looking for a kind of, you know, perfection of whatever form he's trying to show in any given song. Plus, he's, I mean, he's, as a person, an absolute oddball. Um, very difficult to work out what he's going to do next or say next or think, you know, he was a Jehovah's Witness for a long time. You know, it's very difficult to, to pinpoint him. Um, and I think that can be kind of a bit difficult for people to get into him, even though it does make him a very interesting sort of psychological case study. Really. Yeah, and, and part of uh, just sort of going back to what Joe said a, a few things ago, it is interesting that the excuse here is that it's about the film. But I mean, it's not about the film. It's not in the film. It's the, it's the end music for the film. And it just has this sort of minimal, real tie to it. And then it just seems to be this song that he kind of wanted to write or that, that came out of him. And he just uh, put put in there. Yeah, I I liken it a bit to um, Radiohead. You know, that, that piece they've got called Exit Music for a Film which was from, you know, Romeo and Juliet, but it was also on the album. It's one of, it, That's one of the saddest songs. But um, kind of similarly, it was just used sort of as a kind of tag-on to the end of a film. But it was obviously a really much deeper song than that. Um, although Romeo and Juliet's pretty deep, I have to say, but still. <laughs> Through my um, reading up, I, I, I chanced upon a couple of, like, fan forums and things, which seems to suggest the song was... Had a, uh, a sort of, it was a premonition of him dying in April. Um, now, I, I, I don't think there's anything in that whatsoever, but I wonder whether there was more of Prince in this song than he lets on within the song. 
Oh, d- definitely. That's what makes it a good song. It's, you know, it's it really seems like a bit of authentic speech, I think. I'm going to go to a couple of things that I think are sad in this song, just to sort of pull it back to to where this that's like. Ken said only got two something minutes. about, you know, those kind of cars don't pass you every day. Meaning things you think may repeat over and over don't really repeat and things can be just a kind of one-off. And I suppose while we're in this sort of podcast together, when we were living together, us, Joe, in in a place called mm. the cave, you would think that, you know, oh, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life, uh, you know, holding an umbrella and listening to Fallout Boy or whatever else. And at a certain point you realise, like, there were only so many times that could happen. You know, there are only so many times that these things go on. And it's actually quite limited. And and often, especially when you're young, you don't really realise how limited these things are. And I think that's definitely a source of sadness. Agree. Yeah. It's also a source of joy for me. I, I, there isn't a day goes by, I don't thank the Lord, that I never lived in the cave with you three. Uh, by the way, the cave... <laughs> it was pretty good. I'm it's a quite nice there. place, actually, if you, if you round it up. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, do you want me to do, you want me to do the finishing bit on this one, Steve? Uh, no, because I'm going to yak on for like yes, please, do about so. 30 minutes. <laughs> I, I really do want to go back to this notion that in this song, Prince is sort of trying to grasp this fact of, of mortality as being something with two sides to it. You know, I, I wish there was no mortality. Mm. I wish that life was never ending. But at the same time, maybe this is the thing that gives everything else meaning and that without mortality, nothing else has any kind of sense. And it's mm. a trope of everything. You know, it comes up all and all the time. Um, mm. But this is a really nice way it's put in in a few minutes of this song. And I really do think that the attempt to grapple with that, if you really think it through, is a particularly sad thing because it's you know it's it's what you call the horns of a dilemma right if you live forever well you know nothing has any meaning and everything just kind of passes you by and it's you know nothing is particularly special and if you die then great everything becomes special but everything becomes limited and finite and then there's a problem there and the attempt to kind of deal with this is is a fascinating sad concept i think does anyone have any thoughts on this? Mm. I, I completely agree with what you just said. Um, I just don't agree with you muzzling us when we're talking about this song. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the outtakes come out muzzling us. <laughs> such a beautiful expression. I almost did an outtake podcast based on everyone going on about well, bovine at the beginning of one say? of the other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, don't worry, this will be totally bovine. So, should I keep this in? I'm not sure it's going to make any sense. Well, it as it approaches uh, yeah, John Russell's bedtime, does anyone have any final thoughts on this one? <laughs> well, most of the chords are major chords, so it's actually quite a happy song if you think about it like that. Okay, then we've come to a conclusion. Thank you for listening to another Sad Songs podcast. <laughs>